You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you this morning. Um, as I mentioned in my weekly update uh, to the congregation, we kicked off Black History Month uh, this past week. Uh, and the city of Roswell has really got a great tradition here. It's the Roswell Roots Festival. And usually RPC hosts in this very space uh, the kickoff event with the Jazz Vesper service with Dr. Dwight Andrews. Obviously we couldn't do it this year, but I want you to know they're doing a bunch of other events both outside and virtual that you can see. So you can check them out at roswellroots.com. And for Lent... Uh, This year, the staff has put together Lenten worship bags. I cannot believe we're a week and a half away from the beginning of Lent this year. But um, we have one for each family in the congregation. And you can register online when to pick those up. And you can get those. And they help you kind of journey, take that spiritual journey with our sermon series. And as a congregation, again, bringing us together as we go through Lent this year. Well, today we continue our sermon series looking at the life of Moses, and we're looking for God's certain promises in uncertain times. Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. We saw in that very first sermon that Moses relied on people helping him long before he could ever ask for help or he could do anything for himself, and that's one of the certainties of life. We are only here because somebody took care of us, somebody helped us when we could not help ourselves. Then we saw how Moses escaped from the pursuers from Egypt, and he ends up getting a job for his father-in-law, and he's tending uh, the flocks of his father-in-law, and he's walking along, and he sees a a bush that's on fire but is not consumed, and God speaks to him out of that and changes his life and changes all the plans he had. And we said that we serve and we believe in an interrupting God, that God will often interrupt our plans. That's one of the certainties of life. And then two weeks ago, we looked at the importance of remembering what God has done for us in the past. It's important that we are a people to remember God's certainties from the past. But then last week, Carrie Weatherford brilliantly showed us we can't get trapped in the past. We can only live life going forward. So we want to remember, but we don't want to try to live there. We want to move forward. And today our passage comes from Exodus 34. We're almost at the end of Exodus. Moses has been given the Ten Commandments. If you're interested, we did a sermon series on the Ten Commandments this past fall. But Moses is given the Ten Commandments, and he goes up to Mount Sinai, and he's up there a while, and he comes back down. And what he finds is the people have constructed a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. And Moses is so infuriated that he throws the Ten Commandments, he throws the tablets down, and he breaks them. And this becomes the great Israelite sin in their history. The people have rebelled, disobeyed God, worshipped another God. After all that God has done to liberate them. And so the question then becomes, how will God respond? Who is God essentially? How does God treat the disobedient? Who has God decided to be? So we're going to look at that. So let's look at Exodus 34 verses 1 through 9. 
the Lord said to Moses. Cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you broke. (laughs) Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and do not let anyone be seen throughout all the mountain, and do not let flocks or herds graze in front of that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the former ones, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stick, stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might show us how you dealt with the disobedient people so long ago, but what the promise that might offer to us in our own lives here and now. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the most interesting things about our passage of Scripture today is it's the first place in the Bible where God describes himself. I'm fascinated with how people choose to present themselves to others. And nowhere do we see this phenomenon more present than online dating. Now, I was married before uh, online dating, as the kids say, was a thing. So I needed to turn to an expert. So just the other day, I got a tutorial on online dating from my sister-in-law, Carson. She's a single woman in her mid-20s living in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. And online dating is an essential essential activity to being young and single in New York City. And there are a lot of options. There are many different apps you can use. Match.com, ChristianMingle.com, Bumble, Hinge. On the app she happens to use, they ask you questions, questions that help describe yourself to others. And the quality of your answer will often lead to the quality of your date. (laughs) So for instance, Her profile asks, what do you miss the most? What do you miss the most? Her answer is, the old Kanye. Short, seemingly simple, only three words. Now, I don't want to give too much away, but if a guy gives a good response and the quality of his response will determine whether she will go out with him. Okay. The old Kanye. Now, at first, the person's got to get the reference to Mr. Kim Kardashian, Kanye West. If you get that, you get one point. 
Then if the person recognizes there's been a major shift from the old Kanye to the new Kanye in the kind and content and quality of his music. If you get that, if you get that shift, you get a second point. But then if you get the reference, I miss the old Kanye as a lyric in a Kanye West song on the life of Pablo, well, friend, you might be marriage material. You can say a lot with just a few words. The key here is you want to portray your sense of taste and style. You want to show your sense of humor, show that you're clever. Your three words say a lot more than just three words. You want to describe yourself in such a way that somebody will want to go out with you. And if you're single in New York City watching this, let me know and I can set you up on a date. She's going to kill me for saying that. In our passage today, it's the first time where God describes who God is in the Bible. Listen to it. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is a God full of mercy and grace, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This may come as a surprise to Moses at the time. Remember, Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai. God gave him the Ten Commandments, but he's was up there a while, and so people begin to wonder, did he get lost? Is he not coming back? Did something happen to him? And so left to their own devices, they construct a golden calf and begin to worship it. Moses comes down and sees them doing this, and he slams the tablets, the Ten Commandments down, and breaks them. He says, who have you, who are you people? These, this was not a, a people full of gratitude. When God liberates them from Egypt. They've been out a little while. They get hungry. They say, oh my gosh, we're so hungry. Then they get thirsty. Oh, we're so thirsty. And God provides manna. God provides water. Moses has gone a while. They begin worshiping another God. They, they betray. They spit in the face of the very God who liberated them from slavery, from captivity. And Moses is so mad, he breaks the Ten Commandments. But now God has given him a second set of tablets. And God passes before Moses and describes who he is. This is a striking moment in Holy Scripture. When the people have disobeyed, when the people have rebelled, the great sin in, in the Old Testament is here, this rebellion. When God could be judgmental, could be angry, could be vengeful. What does God declare? God decides who God will be, full of grace, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. See, this is the fourth of four theophanies in the book of Exodus. A theophany is a visible manifestation of God to a human being. The first theophany happens in Exodus 3 when Moses is tending his father-in-law's flocks and he sees that burning bush that is not consumed and God speaks to him out of it. When he tells Moses to go and lead the people out of captivity, out of their bondage into freedom. Also in that meeting, God discloses the divine name, his proper name. 
Remember, whenever you read in the Old Testament and you see the all caps, Lord, L-O-R-D, that's a placeholder for the, for the divine name. We don't even know how to pronounce it because no observant Jew would ever say it out loud. The Lord, and God gives it to Moses. The loose translation is, I am, or I will be who I will be. <laughs> Fortunately, there's not a lot of meat on the bone on that description, a lot of ambiguity. And so then we have a third theophany where God tells the Israelites to practice Passover once a year to remember how I liberated you from slavery. And then the fourth theophany is this one, where God describes who he is to the people, who God decides God will be. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God describes himself as essentially gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love. This word here for steadfast love is maybe the most important word in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. It's hesed, hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it means um, steadfast love, it's translated or can be translated loving kindness, it's God's covenant loyalty. We really have, don't have the right English word for it. It's God's commitment to be for them over the time, over their journey. It's God's hesed. And we see God's, the culmination of God's hesed culminating in the coming of Jesus Christ. That God's loving kindness, God's steadfast love and faithfulness culminates in coming to us in Jesus Christ. And then we see in God's triumph over sin and death in the resurrection. This was, is what brings the Old Testament and the New Testament together. But since the earliest days of the church, people have been trying to tear them apart. In fact, in the first hundred years of the church, a man came along named Marcion. And Marcion tried to drive a wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Between the God of Israel and, and the God of the New Testament. And throughout church history, there have been people that have followed in that tradition, followed in Marcion's wake. And what happens is, is that they try to drive a wedge between the two and say there are two gods. There's the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, who's legalistic, angry. It's a warrior God. And that God is replaced by a, a sweet-tempered, benevolent God. That God appears in the New Testament. And many people down through the centuries have followed in Marcion's wake. It's fueled all sorts of forms of Christian anti-Semitism. We saw it in the first century, saw it in the Holocaust, saw it in our own day. If it, you think it's gone or not present, you only had to see it the, in the riot at the Capitol several weeks ago. On one end, you saw people worshiping before a cross, and then on the other, you could see people in a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt. The Orthodox belief, however, from the earliest days of the church has decided there is only one God, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is one God revealed and culminating in Jesus Christ. And we see in Christ that God is for us. God is merciful, full of steadfast love. In many ways, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they write the story of Jesus, they're trying to make the point in between the lines that this is the same God. So for instance, Jesus will spend 40 days in the wilderness. The people of Israel spend 40 years in the wilderness. 
Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. The people will pass through the Jordan River to get to the promised land. Jesus is often called the Lamb of God, hearkening back to the Passover meal. Jesus, the name, is the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua will be the successor to Moses to lead the people. This word, this name means God saves. I could go on and on. When the church forgets this fact that these two are united, all sorts of racism and anti-Semitism can make its way in. But we serve the one God revealed in Jesus Christ who is full of steadfast love and mercy and grace. Now, does God judge sin? Yes, God judges sin, but God's grace is so much greater. Did you notice this? Notice where God says he will keep his steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is saying, my steadfast love goes for a thousand generations, but my judgment only goes for two or three. My mercy is way deeper than my anger. My love is way deeper and way greater than iniquity. Or as the theologian Karl Barth liked to say, God's no is always wrapped in a much greater yes. Friends, this is one of the great certainties of our faith, that God has revealed himself to be a God of grace. Grace transforms us. God's loving kindness, God's steadfast love, his mercy transforms us. Let me tell you how this works. I'll conclude with this. A few years ago, I was in downtown Atlanta, and I was on the connector, and I was going off the 17th Street exit. And you come to a red light, and there's a sign under right there, and it said, um, no turn on red. And I interpret that to mean, no turn on red if there are cars coming. And so I stop there, the stoplight. I look, no cars are coming. So I turn right. No sooner did I turn right than I notice lights flashing in my rearview mirror, pulling me over. The officer walks up to where I'm at, asks for my license and registration, and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yes, because it says, no turn on red, and I turned. And he kind of smiled and walks back to his car. A few minutes go by, and he comes back, and he says to me, he says, I'm going to let you go with a warning. I said, really? Why? He said, in all my years of pulling people, people over at this intersection, you're the first person that admitted to reading the sign and then disobeying it. <laughs> So I'm going to let you go. I can't tell you how happy that made me. The experience of grace. I got stuck in traffic. I'm just waving at people. Isn't it a great day? Somebody cuts me off. I'm like, you're welcome. But that's the transformative power of grace, of receiving love that you don't deserve. God did not come to condemn but to forgive. He came to save this is the one-way street of grace. 
that we see revealed when God reveals who God is for us, who God defines and describes himself. So it's going to be a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the God of Israel. This is the God of Moses. This is the God revealed in Jesus Christ. This is our God, and that is a certainty. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a God of mercy, of grace, abounding steadfast love and faithfulness. We pray that that reality might transform our lives and that we might trust in that certainty in these uncertain times. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.